Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast. Our guest today is Hayden Shaw. Hayden is a leading expert on the topics of generations, leadership, change, and turning around negative work environments and employees. Hayden has worked with more than 1,000 businesses, not-for-profits, and governmental organizations. He speaks and consults in excess of 170 days a year, not too many days off, uh, for clients who consistently invite him back, which is true. I booked him for a long time, and we have a lot of repeat clients. Uh, Hailed as a leadership guru by the Washington Post, Hayden Shaw has delivered hundreds of convention keynotes, intimate offsites, and virtual presentations. Known for taking groups from hilarity to deep reflection, he combines rich content with Use Tomorrow tools. Hayden lives in Chicago and a multi-generational household with his Gen Xer wife, Lori, his traditionalist mother-in-law, his disabled Gen X brother-in-law, and his millennial children. He is releasing a new edition of his book, Sticking Points, on October 6th. Hayden, thanks for joining us. Brian, great to be here. Love premiere. <laughs> well, we're, we're excited to have you. So obviously a lot has happened since this book was first released. Uh, what are some of the main things that have changed uh, that, you know, because this is a book and your, speech, your, your speeches are obviously things people need a lot. What are some of the things that businesses need to do today? Well, Brian, to your point about things changing a lot, the book came out first edition seven years ago, and I think it's more like dog years in terms of how much <laughs> it feels like things have changed. Because you know, when the book first came out, people are like, well, what, what in general are different in the generations? And the goal was to basically get people laughing uh, and, to, and, and to be like one of those political comedy troops where you, you equally you equally made fun of the different political parties so nobody felt like, you know, you were against them or on their side. And, you know, you equally tease all the generations so everybody relaxes and can finally listen. But, you know, about four years ago, it began to shift to, hey, we've got these particular situations and particular challenges. And, and about four years ago, I discovered I was doing, you know, 75% of the, of the work I was doing for you was all customized as opposed to kind of the standard standard speech with some variations. And so I think the, the, the three biggest things that have come along are retention. Even after, you know, even after the second great recession here due to COVID, uh, organizations are still trying to figure out how to keep their best talent. Headhunters are still going after the best talent, even while so many people are unemployed. Secondly is the baby boomers are finally heading out. So the baby boomers have been threatening to leave every time their 401k their 401k had three numbers. You know, every time we go into a big recession or, or uh, they end up going to a 40k, and the boomers <laughs> go, "Hey, until I get that third number, I, I'm not, I'm not quitting." So uh, Generation X has truly been like Prince Charles. They have been waiting to go, you know, waiting to be king for an awful long time, and the boomers, you know, just haven't left. But this time, many of them will, and we can talk more about that. And so knowledge transfer, how do you transfer the most important knowledge for they walk out the door? And then lastly, how do you speak the language of the different generations? The OK Boomer t-shirts that came out la a year, you know, last fall. And doesn't October of 2019 just seem like a long time ago? But, you know, the OK Boomer t-shirts that Gen X, uh, uh, Gen X, Gen Z launched, this newest generation launched like a bazooka. Um, they in, they've illustrated the tensions and uh, political political election cycles have also illustrated the tensions as have COVID. 
So how do you speak the language of the different generations so the team can just get back to work? So let's tackle one of those first points that you talked about. Uh, so retention and loyalty. Uh, so what are some of the things that companies can do as leaders uh, to, to get that? But then also maybe from em- employees, how do they get their companies to be loyal to them? Well, loyal to them would be a harder one, um, simply because organizations have a, have a different kind of relationship. It, the world is not quite as stable as it was when organizations were, were promising loyalty. And Brian, one of the things that really surprised me when I was researching the book is that it wasn't until 1969 that here in the United States, the laws changed that prohibited age discrimination. And so many, many companies had policies where you simply didn't interview anyone over 40. And so, you know, people talk all the time about, well, the older generations were loyal. The older generations were caged. And Mm -hmm. so part of the loyalty was, in a lot of places, there simply wasn't other options. You move three, uh, not only that, but if you move three times, if you were, you know, you're over 75, older boomers or traditionalists, you move three times, three things on your resume and you were considered hard to get along with. And, uh, you know, uh, boomers on have had multiple jobs. Baby boomers had 11 jobs. Uh, Millennials will have 13 to 15 jobs in their career. And so it's not that the boomers didn't move around a lot. It's just they did most are moving in the first 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so how do companies uh, keep that retention now? Well, I think there, there, there are three big things that you can do. The first one is you realize that if younger generations don't get to see what's going on, they will go someplace else with, where they can see it better. Meaning, you know, people would say, well, millennials, they, they want to be running the place in the first five years uh, or in the first six months. And the answer to that was, no, they really didn't. Survey after survey showed they didn't want to be running the place. What they wanted was to be able to watch. They wanted access. And, you know, the whole idea of sit at the, the, the card table at Thanksgiving until you're finally invited up to the adult table, you know, in many organizations, it was a six or seven year process till you could do that. And that they weren't willing to do. They didn't want to make the decisions, but they did want to be able to listen in and they did want to have some influence in it. They wanted to be heard. And, that, and Gen Z is very similar to millennials in that way. So that's the first one. If you don't, if you don't engage them, if you don't let them watch or let them listen, and you just announce things to them, um, they won't stay around long. Secondly, they get bored really quickly. Boredom is the enemy. Wasn't the enemy with other generations, but the generation that could swipe to a whole different thing or click to a different show or TV never went off, and there were hundreds of options. Um, that generation comes to work, and we say, sit down, shut up, do the same job for four years. And it's much like playing the same level of Super Mario for four years, and they look at you like, I'm bored out of my head, help me. And so if you'll take boredom seriously, you'll be in much better shape. But older generations don't take boredom seriously. They were told work was a four-letter word uh, because they had to pay people to do it. Younger generations really do expect to switch levels in the video game, to do something differently. And then thirdly, talk about a career path, even if you don't have one. Uh, Go ahead. No, I, I, yeah, I, I'm, well, one of the things I was curious about is, is boredom. So what are ways to fight boredom and what companies that you see do the fight, the boredom fight well? Well, frankly, if you look around at any company that keeps people who are under 30 for longer than um, a year and a half, 
So if many of the um, consultancies or accountancies, accounting programs have had to figure it out where people move fairly rapidly. And some smaller organizations are like, well, we don't have that many promotional spots. Well, great. Give some hybrid job responsibilities. Smaller organizations can allow people to job share as full-timers. In other words, you do a part of one job and a part of another job. And, you know, they're like, well, we don't have time to train people on all that. We don't have that many resources. Here, here's how it goes. And I explain this in the book in some detail. Allow your employees to say, that you say to your employees, hey, are you if you're bored? Great. You need to train this person so that we don't see any drop in productivity. The handoff's perfect. And then we'll give you, a, we'll give you an opportunity to spend 10 hours, of your, uh, 10 hours of your week on a different job that you'd like to learn. And you can keep people around for much longer if you'll allow them to learn new things, allow them to not be bored. And then thirdly, if you'll take out the garbage once in a while, there is just something about normalizing boring jobs by having the manager or even the vice president who takes out the garbage, who says these boring jobs, these routine jobs are not, they're not what I get paid to do, but they're also really important. And so nobody's beneath them. They matter. And just having everyone once in a while pitch in on what's boring transforms, transforms boring and gives it a higher level of meaning and value. How do you, um, how have you seen uh, other generations adapt to having a less boring workspace? Do they, do they enjoy it? Well, here's the irony of it. We're all far, <laughs> we're all ADHD now. <laughs> in, in, in other words, um, we all have characteristics. I mean, how long can, does the average person go? So, uh, Brian, I used to fly a lot. That hasn't happened for a while. Um, now, you know, we're doing things virtually and set up virtual studios. But um, when I flew a lot, I would notice that people would literally be on their phones the minute the plane touched down. Or if you're waiting for your luggage, people would be on their phones for the four minutes while they wait for their luggage to be put there in the jetway, not just if they go down to baggage claim. And so the point of it is most of us think that a minute and a half is just amazingly crazy. Actually, Facebook had to change the way they measure time on page to reward people in their algorithms because the youngest generation, Gen Z, scrolls so rapidly that scrolling speed had to be taken into account because Gen Zs were actually reading the page. They were just scrolling so quickly, it didn't look like they were staying on the page. So all of us move at a much greater speed. We have much less of an attention span. So the more a job has interest to it and flexibility to it, the better off it is. It's just baby boomers expected to do something else every three years. And uh, Gen X, um, Gen X has a high tolerance for not liking work. Um, and then <laughs> millennials, millennials need, we can talk about that more, I heard you laugh. Millennials need more, uh, they just need more opportunity, more movement. Um, all generations like it. But younger generations are, are more likely to move more often because they don't have um, mortgage and kiddos that hold them down. So, okay, we'll, we'll follow up on the other one. But uh, for the, uh, so why do you think uh, Gen X has a longer or a higher tolerance for non-fun work? Well, Brian, if, if a person were to buy the show Friends, they could take it off on their taxes as Gen X research. Because in many ways, the show Friends <laughs> captures Gen X and uh, what the research shows really well. And if you remember, the uh, theme song talks about your job's a joke, you're broke. In other words, 
Gen Xers, you know, Gen Xers entered, baby boomers entered the workplace in the, the great economy. And so it just went up and up and up. Xers entered when it went from one recession to another. And so Xers are a little more cynical about the workplace. And Xers often take a job and encourage their Gen Z, Gen Z children to take a job that pays the bills, even though it's not their passion. Let me illustrate this. One of the big differences between millennials and the newest generation, Gen Z, is that you know, millennials answered the survey of, do you want a job you're passionate about or one you're, that's secure? Almost 70% said passion. Whereas um, <laughs> extra parents are like, yeah, no, I'm not paying for college. If you're going to get a theater degree or an art degree, um, that's all great. <laughs> do that in your free time. Um, but you're going to get a degree that can pay the bills because you're not living in my basement. And so whole different attitude toward, and so Xers are like, no, 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 no. Um, uh, two thirds of them say, get a job that's stable. And then only a third say, follow your passion. So there's been a major shift based on how the boomers raised millennials in this op in the optimistic economy with uh, Xers raising their, their kids, Gen Zs, it, with a much bouncier economic uh, reality over the last 25 years. Well, one of the things, uh, you know, in addition, so we've talked about retention and loyalty and some of these other things, uh, that kind of flows well into one of the other things you talk about, which is sort of motivation and work ethic and how the, the different generations view each other. Can you talk a little bit more on that? Well, you bet. And there's been a shift since the first book came out on this one. I would say work ethic was the number one sticking point for much of that time. And it's still in the top four, but it's dropped. Right now, communication um, I, you know, is probably number one where in terms of questions that people ask. Whereas work ethic has dropped a bit because, you know, the millennials are no longer, well, what can I do to get out of work? They still, they still would take more vacation time over a raise. Until they get a mortgage, they or have they're saving for college, they would take vacation time over a raise. That still holds true. Um, so millennials value experiences. You probably heard that they value experiences even more than they value things. Although they are the sharpest, snappiest dressers, they're the most style conscious when it comes to clothing of all the generations. So they need money for uh, they need money for clothing. But um, Gen Z comes along, and Gen Z is like. Nope, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna consider getting married till I'm 30, so I can put my time and energy into my career and paying off my student loans. So student loans and bad economies, even heightened now by um, by the COVID-19 uh, economic realities, all of that has made Gen Z buckle in. Your job's got to be your top commitment, and so. Work ethic isn't the same thing that it was when millennials were younger, and really, with, with you know, with high with, with low unemployment levels, they could kind of ask for things that now people can't ask for. It may change in May. I think most organizations need to look at retention strategies in May rather than October. But uh, you, know, assu you know, assuming that things that things change based on you know medical developments and all of that. Um, but yeah, work ethic ends up being a, 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 a less of a deal. When it comes to motivation, the motivation is around how do we get people to give their best ideas and to give their best commitment? One of the big differences now, Brian, is that younger generations, they have very high expectations for how organizations ought to perform. They're used to evaluating their, they've never known a time when they don't evaluate college professors because college is a, college is a service that they're purchasing and they're now giving feedback on that service. 
Whereas, you know, they come into work and are like, hey, I'd like to tell my boss some things they can do better. And their boss is like, I would like to tell you to shut up and uh, keep your hands inside the bus or we'll call your mom. And that's a whole different generational conflict right there on, you know, how do you motivate people by um, uh, how much we, how much we engage them and how much the research shows for Gen Z, how much you care about me compared to your goals. Gen Zers say this, if you care about me more than you care about achieving your goals, I'll be motivated to help you achieve your goals. So the real question is how much do you care about me and my career? So that, I guess that leads into the next point, which is communication, where you're talking about that communication back and forth and that, that they are not, uh, you know, some generations are not used to being told from younger people or less experienced people how they can do what they're doing better. What are some good ways to do that? If, this is, if you're doing this training for uh, a younger generation to an older one, how do you teach them to communicate sort of upwards or older words? Well, here's the irony of it. Uh, millennials have learned to keep their mouth shut. So millennials on surveys, and Brian, I think it's really interesting that next year, um, the oldest millennials will be 40 and be protected by age discrimination laws. And so, you know, <laughs> people will still talk about millennials like they're 20, you know, 26. And, and my son, you know, I start off, the, I, I, I changed the millennial chapter to start off with my 32 year old son saying, are you still talking about millennials? I got a mortgage and kids. Are we, are, are, and the irony is, <laughs> A lot of us, you know, a lot of us time got by since the, you know, since I wrote the first edition seven years ago and they're no, they're no longer 20 something. Um, so a lot of millennials are like, yeah, I've learned to keep my mouth shut at certain times. Um, and Xers are, hey, you, you, you know, need to go along with the program. I think as a result, especially in this economy uh, with the virus and unemployment, I think it's especially important for managers to ask. Yeah. You just say, Hey, what are two or three things that you're seeing from your generational perspective? Because, you know, I'm, you know, so if, if somebody like me who's uh, 57 would say it is really easy to miss some things that are generational or miss some things that, you know, are, are hurting us in the marketplace. What are some things you think that I'm missing or the company's missing? And you just ask and you put it into a generational context, which frees people up to say, okay, I'm now the expert. You're not the expert on my generation. I'm the expert on my generation. Even if I, you know, I can't speak for every last gen Zer, I can at least speak for myself and the people that I hang around with most. And it opens up the, it opens up the conversation. And then the other thing to say is, hey, and you can, you can leverage that same kind of conversation uh, aspect to say, to soften it up by saying, you know, I'm, uh, you know, what worked for me and my generation when I started motivational wise isn't always what works as things change. I know I know I listen to my children talk about managers they've had that could have done it could have done things differently. So what do you think of some of the what are, what some of, what are some of the things you think I am clicking on? And what are some of the things that not so much when it comes to motivating people who are in their second year on the job out of school? You get really specific like that and let them give you positive and negative. They'll give you a lot of positive and squeeze in a couple of negatives they've heard, and you'll get you'll get what uh, military folks, Navy folks know as scuttlebutt. You'll, you'll hear word on the street. So one of the other things too that's so important, and kind of the last section to cover here, is knowledge transfer. So uh, and it, it follows in, I think, again with communication. There is how to pass along that information. Um, you know, not just from boomers who are retiring, but from everybody as they're moving on. You've got these people that are staying one year, three years, five years. 
how do you keep that uh, together for your company? Brian, I think that a scare, there are two bits of really scary research. The first one is what's called tacit knowledge. That's kind of the buzzword, um, tacit knowledge. The knowledge that your highest performers learn by, uh, uh, that allow them to be your highest performers. Um, the knowledge you really can't teach in a course. Tacit knowledge takes about seven years to learn. And if the average person is in their job three years, that's, that's what the Bureau of Labor Statistics considers to be a long-term employee, three years or more. And so if the average person is in their job for right about three years, um, then a lot of times organizations don't get to tacit knowledge except with, you know, 25% of their employees. And so, uh, so you raise a very good question. The second thing is knowledge transfer is gets talked about. Succession planning gets talked about by organizations but less than a third of them actually have robust plans they're doing something about. So I think knowledge transfer of all the sticking points is really one of the biggest ones. And so organizations are like, when are you going to write a book that has Gen Z in it? And I did, and it's important. But I think right now, Brian, an even more important thing is, what are you going to do before the boomers walk out the door to make sure that you've tapped into their knowledge? And so with those two scary things is that it takes seven years, and often people don't stay that long, what you've got to figure out is how do you get your most experienced people to pass on the, 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 the things they know that allow you to really move forward with a customer or with an account? The things they know that helps them assess what's going on in the market and know how to adjust. And that typically is done by getting them talking rather than producing official materials. By definition, it's tacit knowledge. It's not, you know, classroom knowledge. And so, Tacit knowledge is where you, we all have cameras now. So I think one of the most simplest things organizations can do is have people take their camera out and do interviews with people. And then once you get the interview, transcribing can now be done for, you know, for, for pennies a minute. And you can put transcriptions. And there are companies that have done just that, um, that have come up with a shared SharePoint. They're, they're, they're a lot like um, small postings. Uh, where you just go on and you know, like almost like Google, you type in a topic and there's small posts that are linked and you just, you can go and look up key topics and it's flagged by topic and you can find some of the best people answering some of the questions. And so it's a very simple way to do knowledge transfer in organizations. And then um, a lot of times baby boomers feel like Younger generations don't listen. And this is where a real generational difference comes in. While we're all more bored, boomers are used to passing on things through stories. Younger generations, Xers, millennials, and now Gen Z are used to looking at FAQs. And so sometimes boomer, I had one person say to me, I go in and say, what color do you want this printed on? And they give me, if they're not busy, they give me, they lean back in their chair and they give me a 20 minute history of the use of paper in the office throughout their <laughs> career. And I, I just want to take the stylus out of my note uh, phone and jam it through my eye. And so boomers just be cognizant of the fact that your stories have to get to the point a lot faster. And you have to say up front, hey, here's the question I want to answer. And let me give you some tacit knowledge. By let me tell you two stories that will communicate some things you couldn't get in a playbook any other way. And if you'll do that, they'll go, oh, okay. 
uh, all right, I see the reason why you're telling me this story. Instead of just acting like their parents or grandparents where they're like, oh, or as my kids say to me, put it in a story basket, dad, because that's where long stories that don't end with no point go when nobody cares anymore. And my kids, my, these children <laughs> who I love and who I still pay their cell phone bill on will just go like this. We'll just put a cir- their hands in a circle, big circle, and tell me to throw it in the, the story basket, Brian. They're just, they're just mean to me. <laughs> well, uh, you, well, as you, we, you know, we mentioned in the intro, you've got a, a pretty, uh, uh, a lot of generations going on at your house there. What have you applied the most yourself and what is it applied back to you? Uh, Brian, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do when all my kids won't talk to me anymore about generational things because <laughs> half my generational research is quite frankly, you know, the, the tacit part, the real world part. It's not just reading about it. It's actually watching them, you know? So they say to me, oh, dad, nobody does that anymore. Or, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have paid attention to Reddit. I'd read that millennials get more news off of Reddit than they do off of any other news source. But I wouldn't have paid attention to Reddit until my kids are like, oh, yeah, dad. I, my, my son goes, oh, yeah, man, I killed it on Reddit. I got, you know, 1,500. I'm like, what? Reddit? All right, show me how to log on. And so suddenly I'm paying attention to things I wouldn't have paid attention to. And I think a lot, a lot of us do that because, you know, because of families, a lot of younger generations, your earlier question, they know how to communicate with their, with some older generations because what they've done with, you know, aunts and uncles and uh, older relatives and, you know, friends of the family. And there's just not been the same generational tensions that there were between traditionalists and boomers. Uh, The generations tend to like each other more, especially in, in personal life. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. To learn more about today's guests, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.